0: To teach you the depth of His Word, enjoy the study. Well, this is going to be a kind of a heavy. This is a heavy part of Scripture we're getting into, so I'm I'm excited about it. But um, you need to have pun fully intended. You need to have ears to hear what the Spirit's saying to the church is here for this message. But as we as we close out chapter five, so last week. We started out chapter 5 with Jesus as our high priest and what that means. And today we're closing out chapter 5 where we're getting into the third warning in the book of Hebrews. And so remember this entire book is structured around five warnings and we've covered two of them so far. And the third one, it covered, it kind of straddles between chapters 5 and 6. So it's a little bit lengthy. We're going to get into the first part of it today. In, in five or four verses, that's it, Hebrews 5, 11 through 14, and then get into the really difficult part of the, of the warning next week to start out chapter six. So, you know, as we're going through this, it's, this third warning is tough. It's a tough word. It's a tough, it's a tough thing to hear, actually, from the Lord that, he, he has so much He wants to teach you, but He can't because you're dull of hearing. That's how this warning starts out. And so we're going to break that down a lot, and what does that mean, and go into it. But you need to be sensitive to what the Spirit is saying in this third warning, because it is, it is critical to you in your walk with the Lord. This is, a, this is an important juncture. You know, the first warning started with the danger of drifting and then hardening your heart, and the second warning and the third one is kind of the turning point is how I see it. I see this third one as this is the turning point where you've almost gone so far, it's hard to get back. You know, it takes a, a supernatural move of the spirit to get back. So as we're going through this, just keep in mind, Acts 17, applies. Search the scriptures daily to prove that everything is so that you hear here today. And then 1 John 2:27. the teacher. Who is the teacher? We need the Holy Spirit to teach us everything out of this third warning, because it's, it's critical that we understand it as God intended it, and not as man has twisted it for so many centuries, frankly. So we've got, to, we've got to use the Holy Spirit so that we have confidence in what we're learning, and then we also, that will give us confidence when he appears, as 1 John 2.28 says. So as you look at this outline, as we're going through the book here, we're about We're not quite halfway through. We're about halfway through the book, but not not quite. Spiritual maturity is this next section. So chapter 5 really starts at verse 11 and goes through about the mid part of of chapter 6. So we're covering this this third warning today. So chapter 5, it opened, like I mentioned, with Jesus as our high priest, and it closes with this beginning and this warning is actually linked, when you look at it, it's linked to Jesus being our high priest. That's why the Holy, the Holy Spirit structured it with Jesus as our high priest for the first 10 verses, and then therefore of whom to close out and start this warning. So since his priesthood is after the order of Melchizedek, and we studied Melchizedek in a lot of detail last week, there are many revelations that the Holy Spirit would like to say, but then, frankly, he just declares he cannot. And so let's keep in mind, again, that this entire book is written to us as believers, this whole book. These warnings are here for us so that you can be victorious in our walk with the Lord. This is not, this is not to an unsaved person. This is to someone that is saved and is struggling or starting to drift in their walk and how to get back. So these five warnings in the book, remember the first one we had was the danger of drifting. That was back in chapter 2. The second one was the danger of hardening the heart, started in chapter 3. And now here's the start of the third one, the danger of failing to mature. And remember, each warning of the five, it builds on the previous one. And it ultimately culminates here with the danger of refusing or apostasy. As if you've read the book of of, um, Jude and a lot in the New Testament, the Lord has a lot to say about the closing of the church ending in apostasy as a global church, not you individually, but as a global church, that a lot of the church turns away in the end. And so this these warnings are here for that. But Revelation gives the outcome of this. So the danger of all of it, what does Jesus say? These are maybe the most stern words Jesus has in the entire Bible for the church in Revelation 3 verse 16. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Literally, Jesus is sickened by the weak, lukewarm Christians that are filling churches in this letter. That's the church of Laodicea, the seventh letter in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. So lukewarm, it's refusing and being indifferent to God. Think about it as, hey, you know what you should be doing, but you're living in willful sin or you're living in sin that... You know the Holy Spirit is telling you to stop, and yet you're not stopping. You're continuing in that. You're indifferent because it's not affecting you as it should in the Spirit. So God gives us those warnings, these warnings in Hebrews, so you don't get to that point. So they're in place because, again, God is longing for that deep relationship with all of us. And we've talked about this a lot in here through Hebrews But you cannot let your grip on Jesus slip. That's the point. If it starts to slip, it is a very slippery slope. It's also the reason why the men's Bible study, this church, the community is so important. Because if somebody, if you see a brother or a sister going astray, you have a duty and an obligation to go put your arm around them and minister to them. Encourage them. Lift them up with your words. Pray with them. Put your arm around them and bring them back into the fold. You've got to stay steadfast and cling to him. That's that's the key to finish strong. When you think about a lot of great people in the Bible, there are many, many people that did not finish well. You know, Think of David. David ended his career with adultery and murder. He didn't finish strong. And then look at Solomon. Solomon finished horribly. Everything that God said not to do, he did. Don't multiply horses, money, or uh, wives. He did all three, uh, and, he, and did it extreme, so he did not finish well. And then you get to the rest of the Bible, and God has nothing good to say about Solomon in the New Testament. Remember, Jesus even said the, the way the flowers are arrayed in the field are more beautiful than Solomon and all of his wealth. That's, that's God's perspective and so the key here and part of Hebrews is you've got to finish strong. Now, why do you need to finish strong? Well, it's because the kingdom that Jesus is to set up is laced throughout the entire Bible, and it is at hand. The kingdom that Jesus is going to set up in Jerusalem for the millennium is closer now than it was yesterday and the day before and the day before. It's closer every second we sit here. It gets closer But it is the central theme. It's going to take him a 1,000 years to get this kingdom to offer up to God, that God may be all in all, and that is the goal. So he's going to spend a 1,000 years doing that, and we go home before that. And so what's the point right now? The point is you want to not be embarrassed, right? When Jesus shows up to take us home, part of it is that you have confidence, like 1 John 2.28 says, to have confidence when he appears. And look at what Jesus is saying here in Revelation 3.11. Behold, I come quickly, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Now, we've gone through it a lot of times in here from the study in Revelation, but there are five crowns and a whole list of rewards in the New Testament for the overcomer in Revelation. Those are rewards for faithful service to the king. So the king wants to present you with something. And that way you have something waiting for you when you show up to this gigantic party. That if you're saved, you're invited to. We all get to be a part of. And look at 1 Corinthians 9.24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. Again, and I say this all the time, but it's just so important. You cannot hear this enough. You've got something at hand that you can lose, and it's not your salvation. If you are saved, that is off the table. You cannot lose that. And Jesus made that very clear in John ten, uh, John 3, 16, Hebrews, all over the place. Salvation is once and for all. You did nothing to pay for it. You did nothing to earn it. And so it's paid by him. It is a gift. You didn't do anything to earn it, and so you can't do anything to lose it. And when you think about that, it should give you a sense of urgency for how to run the race that God has set before you. He did all of that for you and all he's asking in return is obedience. You know, think about that. Obedience in this life, this walk that he's on. Okay, so to start the the set of verses today, Hebrews 5:10, I'm just going back to the last verse we covered last week. Called of God an high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Of whom, so to start the, se- the service today, of whom is because of Melchizedek. That's why I included that verse. Remember, we covered how Jesus' priesthood was after the order of Melchizedek from Genesis 14 and Psalms 110. And so his priesthood is an everlasting priesthood. He's a king and a priest, and the Levitical priesthood was subservient to him. Remember, because of Melchizedek, Abraham gave him tithes, and Levi was in, the, was in the loins of Abraham at that time. So because he gave him tithes, thus Melchizedek is higher than Levi. That was the whole, that's part of the case the Lord's going to be building in the next couple of chapters. But Jesus' priesthood is after the order of Melchizedek. So this, this of whom, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered seeing ye are dull of hearing. that's that's a This is a stern word from God. So this is how verse 11 ends, dull of hearing. So the whom is a reference back to Melchizedek and the priestly order he foreshadowed, which is Jesus' priestly order. So the Holy Spirit, he's really calling out the readers because they're in no condition to receive something deeper. Okay, that's the issue at hand here. He wants to share more, teaching on this and break it down even further, but he can't because he knows they won't receive it. It's almost, it kind of reminds me of in Matthew 12, from that point on, Jesus always speaks in parables. And when you go and look at why, it's because the Jews attributed what he did to Satan, to Beelzebub. They attributed it to the workings of the devil and from that point on, Jesus always speaks in parables because he knows they're not going to hear what he has to say. And it's actually a form of grace when you, when you really peel that onion back. It's a form of grace because there's a stricter judgment on those who hear more. And it's kind of interesting that the Holy Spirit here is saying, I want, I've got so much I want to tell you, church, but I can't because you're dull of hearing. You don't have ears to receive the message that I want to tell you. So they're not ready to further their walk with God. They're holding on to something. They're indifferent. They're immature. And they're dull of hearing. You know, How many of you get frustrated at your children when you have to tell them six times to do something? You know, uh, Take your shoes upstairs, and they'll be sitting on the stairs for the next three days. You, know, like, you walk past them 18 times. Why don't you just pick them up and carry them? I know if you're a parent, you can relate to this. But that's what God is saying, right? He's got so much he wants to say, but we're, we're not gonna listen. And he's kind of sick of saying it over and over and over and over. And it's kind of the same thing. They're immature and dull of hearing. And, and that's a challenge question for you to really think about at the end. Would the Holy Spirit say the same of you? You know, think about that. Just really think about that hard. Would the Holy Spirit say Man, I've got so much for you in your life, but you are just dull of hearing. You're not hearing the call I have on you. You're not hearing what I want to do to take you further into more of me, as Jesus is saying. That's what he's longing for. And so it's important to hear properly. And Jesus places this admonition in every letter he writes to the churches in Revelation. So remember we went through the seven letters to the seven churches he closes every single one of them with this phrase, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, if you notice the structure, there's seven letters. Each of those verses right there is the closing verse of each of those seven. The first three, that plea from the Lord is before, it's, it's embedded in the body of the letter because then there's something afterwards. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God, for example. That's Revelation 2, 7, the church in Ephesus. When you get down to verse 29, chapter 2, 29, 3.6, 313, and 322, it closes the last four letters. The promise to the overcomer is before that. And so there's a structural issue that Jesus did that intentionally. Part of it is because there's a piece of the last four churches still around today, and, and he's drawing your attention to that, that the characteristics of those four churches are still operable today. That's why the promise to the overcomer is not a postscript. It's, it's embedded in the letter. Now, when you look at those, if you've not studied the seven letters to the seven churches very much, there's actually four level, levels of application to those letters. There's an individual application. That's why it says, He that hath an ear that's an individual, that's you and I. There's a level to every church that's ever existed in the history since the founding of the church in Acts 2 to today. That's why it says, hear what the Spirit says to the church is, plural. But each of those seven, it really was a real church that really had these issues in that day and time, and Jesus was addressing those local issues. Now, the way, and then the fourth level, the order in which they're written. So, They're in modern-day Turkey, and they follow an old ancient Roman mail route. So this Roman mail route would go from Ephesus to Laodicea. It would end at Laodicea, kind of in a circular fashion. Well, the order of which he wrote those letters, they actually lay out the history of the church in advance. So about 2,000 years of church history are embedded in each one of those letters as an overarching theme of that period of church history. And it closes with no surprise, Laodicea, the lukewarm church that is totally indifferent. And Jesus has a call to the individual in that letter, not to the church. It's to the individual. He that knocks, I will open and I will step in and sup with him and he with me. So it's really important to get the structure of those letters and to see what Jesus has for us in that. They're very prophetic. So if you didn't study that or if you weren't here with us with we went through Revelation, I would encourage you to go back and Check out those old messages. So hearing, dole of hearing. You know, hearing is tied to your inheritance in the coming kingdom. And that's why Jesus brings this point up so much because it's so important. Look at Mark 4, 21 through 25. And he said unto them, is a candle brought to be put under a bushel or under a bed and not to be set on a candlestick? Remember, Jesus has this kind of same discourse, too, with a light on on the hill can't be darkened. It always reminds me of that, the old uh, joke, if it's a lamp, why does it need a shade? Yeah, I don't know. But Mark 4.22, for there is nothing hid which shall not be manifested, neither was anything kept secret, but that it should come abroad. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And he said unto him, take, listen to what he says here, take heed what ye hear. With what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you and unto you that hear shall more be given for he that hath to him shall be given and he that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath now that is the most politically incorrect statement maybe in the bible that he that has little it's going to be taken from him in the end what do you, what is jesus talking about he's talking about rewards and inheritance because if you have that laid up for you, you're going to press on based on how you hear from the Spirit. If you're hearing from God, if you're in a place that is teaching deep, deep messages out of the Word of God, and you're running hard with people in community, you're going to hear differently than if you're not. It just is the fact. Are you hearing from God? And are you studying His Word on your own? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to move in your life, and to teach you. If you are, he's going to need things out of you, okay? He's going to need that leaven out of your life, and you're going to live bolder, more courageous, without fear, uh, walking in authority of Jesus, having strength embedded in your children because of how you're praying over them and leading them. It leads to a whole life of fruitfulness for the king, and that's what he's saying here because you need to you need to take heed how you hear because there's something laid up for you more shall be given okay and when we talked about those those crowns and inheritances earlier i don't believe those are an all inclusive list in the bible the five crowns that are listed there's probably an infinite number there may be one you know i joke about this sometimes but there may be there's probably one for making coffee at church in the morning you know, you did that faithfully for 30 years, and there's a crown for you. Praise God. And and it's just, you don't have to do something radical. This is what I want you all to understand. You don't have to do something that is earth-changing. It just has to be obedient. Whatever Jesus is telling you, let him cause the change in the earth with it. You don't have to fill a stadium like Billy Graham to be on this nice list right when you get to heaven. You just have to be obedient. There are people, that's why Jesus said over and over, the first shall be last and the last shall be first because there are people serving the Lord all over the world that I promise you have never heard of and never will until you get to heaven. And you're going to realize, man, look at what this person did or that person. It's going to be incredible, but it's a call to press on. So you're blessed to hear God's word and by keeping what you hear. Look at Luke eleven twenty eight. 28. But he said, yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. So there's a, two things together there. You have to hear it and you have to keep it. It's not just hearing it. What does keeping it mean? Keeping it means holding it fast into the very depth of your spirit and holding it at the forefront of your mind, that it is the filter by which you do everything. There's nothing you do that you're not filtering it by the word of God. And when you can get to that point in your life, it'll be amazing how decisions are easier. God is talking to you regularly, telling you what to do, where to go, how to act with certain people, how to respond, everything. Again, there's a reward for hearing and keeping what you hear. Look at Mark 4.9. And he said unto them, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. But Luke 8, 18, take heed therefore how ye hear. Again, for whosoever hath to him shall be given, and whosoever hath not from him shall be taken even that which he seemeth to have. So it's the same thing from Mark 4 that we looked at a second ago. So take heed how you hear. You know, are you receiving messages for itching ears or deep messages from God's word? And that is a big challenge today in the world we live in. The world would love to give you feel-good, seeker-friendly messages that make you have an emotional reaction but have no depth in God's word. And that's the problem. If it's a reaction out of emotions, you're being led not by the Spirit. Remember, the Spirit, when you get saved, is now over your emotions we looked at that at Hebrews 4.12, the, div- the word of God, dividing us under the soul and the spirit. Look at John 8.47. He that is of God heareth God's words. Yea, therefore, hear them not because ye are not of God. Now, that's hard, too, to hear. If, you've got, if you have friends or family members that are not hearing God's word, despite it plainly being spoken to them, there's an issue there is a spiritual issue of blindness on them. And it's not, studying God's word again, it's a spiritual issue, not a logical one. And so logically, people try to solve it with their own mind and their own brain all the time, and they, you will fail every time because it's a, not a logical issue. It's a spiritual one. And you want to hear God's word and receive it. So knowing his word is how you also know his will. Now, this is important. So when you hear God's word, what is his word? Well, Jesus is the word. We know that. But his word is the contract that you and I live within, right? It's a legal document. It's a legal set of documents divinely inspired by the creator of the universe. And so when you're living within those bounds, it gives you everything you need to live your life. Everything. Everything. What do you do? How do you behave? How do you, how do you conduct your marriage? How do you raise your, your family, your children? What do you do with your money? All of that. All of that is in that book, that contract that you're in. So that's his will. The entire word of God is his will. And this is one of my favorite examples, but knowing his word, if you're in his word, it's how you know his will. So this is why, this is one of my favorite examples, and God put this together for me, I don't know, Ten years ago now, maybe but first John 5:14, and this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to His will, he heareth us. okay that is a bold declaration from God. If you are praying His will, you have confidence that he will hear you. First John 5:14. now take that a step further. It's one reason why if you ever pray for someone's salvation, it is so powerful. It is powerful because what is God's will? His will is that all are saved, right? Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not willing. His will is that none of us perish. And so when you are praying for someone's salvation, you are literally praying the will of God and you have confidence from 1 John five fourteen that he will hear you and act and move mountains for that person. It's why you can tell when people are wrestling, right, with the spirit. You can tell when people are, they know they need to get saved, they know that there, there's something that's missing, they're incomplete, and you start praying for them, Right? And all of a sudden, it could be years down the road, and you've lost total contact with them. But you hear, hey, they got saved. They got saved sometime. It could have been three years after that, four years, five years, decades later. It could be next weekend. But it works. And so it's important that you are praying for the lost, for those in your life that you know need Jesus. Lift them up. Take them into the throne room before God and remind him his will and let him move on their behalf. So in the parable of the sower, we all know the parable of the sower, but there are different levels of responses due to hearing. And I thought this was really interesting and linked to hearing also. So this part in Mark that we're going to go through here, this is Jesus explaining the sower. The actual parable is a few verses before. So it'll make sense in a second. The sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise, which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, notice how all of this has to do with how you received it. How did you hear it? How did you hear the word? Who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time, afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And then the fourth group of people and these are they which are sown on good ground, good soil. You're receiving the word well, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30 fold, 60, and some 100 fold. So the first group was the word falls by the wayside. And when you go back to earlier in Mark four, you can see it's the ministers of Satan, the birds, the fowls of the, of the air come and sweep down and take it away. Now, Everywhere that you see the fowls of the air like that, doing something like that, here, Matthew 13 and elsewhere, those are the ministers of Satan. And Jesus makes that point very clear in Matthew 13. But the type, the model of it is the ministers of Satan. That's why the mustard seed, that parable, the mustard tree is the church, and it grows so big and cumbersome that the birds of the air lodge in its branches. Those are the ministers of Satan that are then able to infiltrate the church in that parable. But the word falls by the wayside. That's the first group. They didn't hear it well. It falls by the wayside, and Satan comes and just snatches it away. The word on stony ground, it had no depth. It received it with gladness, but there was no depth in their life, and so it withers away the first time persecution or affliction or shutdowns happen. It's the, it's, it goes away right away. Uh, the word among thorns, they're choked out by the riches and cares of this world, right? Again, Satan would love for you to look left and right and not straight ahead. Because when you look left and right, you're constantly comparing yourself to the world. You're always looking at what is somebody next to you doing? How are they succeeding? What's, what's happening in their life and why is it not in my life? You know, why do they have this and I don't? Whatever it is that Satan is lying in your ear about, he wants you looking around and not straight ahead. Remember what Jesus said. He said, anyone that puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom. He doesn't want you looking back. Lot's wife looked back and turned to a pillar of salt because she was looking longingly at what she was leaving behind. And so God wants you looking forward. When you look forward, you're in the fourth group and you're receiving the word on good soil and it, and it is returned bountifully some 30 some 60 some 100 fold you know Jesus is a is a great mathematician and and there's it's interesting when you look at that i bet if you studied the church over history there probably are 25% groups of people in those categories that fall right along line with exactly what he said So verse 12, the next one. For when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. So basically the Holy Spirit here is saying, for when you should be advancing to become teachers, you've regressed. You failed to advance and mature because you were dull of hearing. Chapter 7 develops this also further into the, the first principles of the oracles of God. But uh, chapter 6, verse 1 actually has a list that we'll look at next week of what are the first principles. But newborn Christians have need of milk. And there's nothing wrong with new believers desiring the milk of the word. It's how babies grow, right? Think of it as a, the life of a baby when you have a newborn child. You've got to feed it milk to a certain time before it gets on solid food. It's the same thing with the believer. But 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. So what happens, though, when you transition a baby from milk or liquid to solid food? Right, They grow exponentially. It is like, it is crazy overnight. All of a sudden, they're they're having growth spurts, and they're walking, and they're starting to talk. They're involved with people. That's what happens with a believer. So when you can transition a believer off of the milk of the word onto solid food, their walk exponentially takes off. Now, there isn't, like I said, there's a place for the milk of the word. Everybody needs that to start out with. But there comes a point where if you've been on that for 30 years, you might be stagnant you know, in your walk. Just think about that. There's, you've got to transition. So the milk of the word refers to what Jesus did on the earth the first time. His birth, his miracles, his teaching, his death, burial, and resurrection well, and that list is in Hebrews 6, verse 1, if you want to know where I got that from. The meat of the word refers to what Jesus is doing in heaven now and what he will do the second time on the earth. It's the, it's the deeper things of God. What do you have to, again, look forward to? The promises of the kingdom, the rewards and inheritance you have for progressing to maturity, the roles and responsibilities you will have in the kingdom, how to war against the enemy, Right now, in your walk, it's amazing to me how many Christians I know and have had around my entire life that were believers for 30, 40, 50 years, and yet still struggled with the same thing for decades. And they couldn't figure out, they just don't figure out, how do I get rid of this in my life? What do I, I don't understand. I thought this was okay to live this way. And Jesus has the answer. It's the word of God. You've got to use that to surgically remove anything in your life. So how to war, praying deliverance, casting out demons, prophesying, healing, allowing the spirit to overflow in your life, those are all byproducts of going on to the meat of the word. Those are the byproducts. So verse 13, for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe And so it's a challenge question again for all of us, right? Are you skillful in the word of God? And it's not, you don't, again, you don't need anyone to teach it to you, but 1 John 2, 27, he will teach it to you. You just have to give him space and an opportunity to do so. The depth of your walk with Jesus will tell, though, if you're skillful or not with the word of God, because Jesus is the word. Remember John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So think about these verses. These are really strong verses from the Lord that they're dull of hearing. They're immature. They should have transitioned off the milk of the word. And now because they're still on it, they are unskillful as a baby. They have no place in warfare. They would just get slaughtered, right? It's essentially what God is saying if, they, if anything uh, massively came up in their lives. So how do you start to make the transition it's it's honestly it's a willing heart, it's obedience, and it's taking time out of your life to spend with him. That's where it happens. A lot of growth can happen in church, a lot of growth can happen in Bible study, a lot of growth can happen in your personal time um, with your spouse, but the place where you will grow the most is when you sit down with the creator of the universe on your own and open the word of God and sit with the author that hung the stars in the sky for you and let him teach it to you and let him tell you exactly what it is in your life that he wants you to do and how to guard up and how to pray for your children, how to war for your kids. I'm telling all of you, there's a war right now in our culture for your children, whether you want it to be or not. And so you've got to have your guard up and know the word of God Otherwise, because the enemy is warring for your kids, you need a war just as hard. And it's, a, it's amazing how you see so many families, and I know all of you have friends in this situation that have been believers forever, but there is so much angst in their home. There's strife, and there's stress, and they're struggling with their kids, and they, whatever. I mean, pick something on that list, and you just want to kind of shake them, you know, of, there's there's one that can take care of all of this for you and his name's Jesus and you've just got to be willing and obedient that's it willing and obedient so hebrews 5:14 but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil so this word here of full age in the greek It literally means full grown, an adult of full age, mature, wanting nothing necessary to completeness. So you've you have grown up and you're strong in the Lord. You're that doesn't mean you're sinless, but you don't let sin beset and keep a hold of you. You can conquer and step right back out of it. It means that you're walking in confidence, right? No matter what's happening in your life. You have confidence because you know who the provider is. You know who the healer is. You know who the great I am is, and he's got you. The word of use, so of use right here is hexis, and it literally means a habit, whether of body or mind, or a power acquired by custom, practice, or use. It's using the word daily from Acts 17, 11. This is not in a war you do not... You do not just pick up the sword and practice one time and then go into battle, right? It's a daily use. And even in between battles, what are they doing? They're back at, at the camp going through training, going through drills, staying fresh. You've got to do this daily. This is not something you do once and then go into war and then figure it out. <laughs> You've got to do this daily. So, And you do have a great teacher, If you have a great teacher, you can do all of this. And it's hard to succeed as you learn anything without a great teacher, right? But you have the best teacher you could ever ask for. It's Jesus and the Holy Spirit, the comforter. So the teacher, 1 John 2.27. Okay, discernment. So think about this. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Discernment is linked to being mature and of full age in this verse. And discernment is a skill built totally on the word of God. So there's only one source of truth, right? It's Jesus. John 14:6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you don't know the truth, if you're not spending time with Jesus and you don't know the truth, how will you succeed in a world that is full of nothing but lies and deceit? You're, you will go astray. You will be deceived. You will be led off to the slaughter. <laughs> um, but Jesus is the truth. And so when you're in a full age and mature, you're then able to discern both good and evil. And this is, frankly, why so many Christians are accepting of gay marriage, abortion, fill in the blank whatever it is, Christians are so accepting of it because they are not of full age and they're not able to discern both good and evil. You cannot tell me, you, I, I have a lot of people that I love that are okay with abortion, but yet they claim they're a Christian. And that is the greatest contradiction on planet Earth. If you are okay to murder the most sacred of God's creation in the Holy of Holies, you have something off. There's just something wrong. There's been over a billion people murdered since Roe v. Wade. And a billion, think about that, a billion people, that's the entire population of the Western Hemisphere on planet Earth, has been wiped out. And it goes all the way back to the Old Testament. Child sacrifice was a requirement of bell worship. And it's no different today. Satan has just found a way to twist it so that it's acceptable. Well, they're not really human yet. Well, they don't have a heartbeat yet. Well, they don't have, they're just a glob of cells. You know, whatever their excuse is. And it's amazing because when you think about that, I, I shared this example with, a, with someone one time. But when you think about the greatest miracle, think about this. You have, all of a sudden, there's a pregnancy that happens and you have one cell that's identical. It splits into two. You have two cells that are identical. You have four, and then eight, and then 16, and then 32, and 64, 128. All identical. Every one of them is exactly the same. And then all of a sudden, some of those cells start to become a backbone. Some start to become lungs, a heart, a stomach. They start to form bone, and muscle, and tissues, and ligaments. How do they know? Where does that come from? Think about that. That is the most incredible thing on earth. You could, I could stare at these chairs all day and they're all identical and not make a couch. It's just not going to happen. And, but yet this happens in the womb in every single pregnancy. And people, scientists have no idea where it comes from. It's because the information has to come from an outside source. And that source is Jesus it's why when you get injured, your body does the same thing. Some cells, how do your cells know to form muscle tissue where it is, ligaments where it is, to stop bleeding immediately by clotting? That's all from Jesus. He is in every single cell division on the planet of everyone walking the earth. And now that's incredible. That takes some, some skill. <laughs> but, but people are blinded. They don't, for whatever reason, they bought into this thing from the enemy so 2 Timothy 3, 5, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. And that's a, that's a hard verse, too. There's a lot of people filling pews all over the world in church that have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. So discernment's needed to, so you don't have itching ears. Look at 2 Timothy 4, uh, 1 through 4 here. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. There it is again. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. So this word here, those are some heavy verses too. This word here, having itching ears in the Greek, it's desirous of hearing something pleasant. And so you see this all the time, right? How many Christians don't want to hear about, look at First Timothy one, just right there, the, the eternal judgment, the judgment of Jesus, and the kingdom. I mean, there's a, there are heavy statements there that a lot of people want to stray away from. Okay, discernment is so necessary today for you and your children. It, it is so necessary. You've got to be discerning and in the word of God. And this set of passages here in First Timothy 4, we did 2 Timothy a second ago, so 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5, This is one of the most, I've read this for years, and I thought, man, what a weird statement by the Holy Spirit, speaking of the last days. And I honestly thought I would not see this in my lifetime, but yet you see it everywhere. And so you've got to have discernment of what is going on here. 1 Timothy 4.1, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils or demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry. Okay, how many of you have heard the world say you don't need to get married? You know, that's, the world says that. Even, the world will tell young couples, well, what, just live together for a little bit and try it out. You know, and take a test run, right? And then see if it works out. It's a lie. It's a doctrine of demons speaking lies in hypocrisy, forbidding to marry. And commanding, now, this is the strangest one, maybe, in the entire Bible. And commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. Now, that's a great commanding to abstain from meats. Okay, there is nothing wrong if you choose not to eat meat. Let me just get that out there. That's fine. It's a personal choice. But if the world is telling you that you can't eat it, and for whatever reason, you fill in the blank, whatever crazy reason they want to give you for to save the climate. I don't know how me having a steak saves the climate, but somehow it does. And so, Saving the climate is not linked to not killing cattle, okay? They are created for you to be received with thanksgiving. But it's amazing how the entire world is pushing this agenda now. It is, I, every time I see a commercial with um, someone that will remain anonymous, so we don't get kicked off YouTube here in a minute, um, someone that will remain anonymous, every time I see him go, you know, you'll get used to the synthetic meats. It'll be fine. It's to save the future generations. I just think 1 Timothy 4.3, every single time that comes up in my spirit, it, there's something evil about it, right? It just doesn't sit well with you. There's nutrients in it. God made it for you to be received with thanksgiving and prayer. There's, there's the reason why they can't create a crisis of shortages and supplies is because God provides it and it multiplies, and the cattle birth more cattle, <laughs> and you can eat, and it's, so it's just amazing to me that, that you need discernment to see that, but there's a lot of good, well-meaning people that hear that and go, oh my gosh, I've got to eat impossible meat from now on, the rest of my life, or else I'm not going to have a, a house on the ocean, it's just, and God, actually, it's funny I mentioned that, God has two things in, his, in the word, not to get off on too much of a tangent, But God has two things in his word that he says he sets the bounds of the sea. There's a reason why there's a high tide and a low tide. And every single time you go to the ocean and the beach, you can see where the high tide is and the low tide. It doesn't pass it. Do not be worried about it passing it. I promise you, because God says he set that boundary, not man. So don't worry about that. So anyway, go home, have a steak on me today. Uh, God wants so, so to close out 14 there about discernment before we get into the, the call of action, because God gave me a couple of verses here uh, this morning to make sure I added in that. Yes. Okay, so think about discernment. And I've, my father-in-law, Randy's dad, had he beat this into my head all through high school. Discernment, 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 discernment. It's the most important trait you can take to college. Discernment, 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 discernment. Did I say discernment? Yeah, and he just hit it over me over and over and over as we were getting ready to go to college. And, but it's true. And you look at, I started in Oklahoma State in 1999, which is crazy to think about. But 1999, here we are 23 years later, and I cannot believe how different it is I mean, you, you have got to have so much discernment now in going to college and going even in high school, even in a private school, you're not escaped from it. So you've got to be in the word of God. And your children, if you are in this room and you're a parent or a grandparent, your children and grandchildren are counting on you being in the word of God. They're counting on you to carry that torch and to help lead them. And to not lead them astray. But you've got to be in the word of God to do that. And he wants to set you and your children among princes to inherit the throne of glory. That's amazing. Second Sam, First Samuel 2.8. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill to set them among princes and to make them inherit. There's that word again. Inheritance the throne of glory for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he hath set the world upon them. So think about this too. The Lord gave me this example in the military who gets the highest honors. You know, it's the ones that are what they're the most courageous. They're running into war. They're bold. They're running into the fight, not out of it. Nobody sits in the home base uh, on a, on a drone, you know, flying something and gets a purple heart. It doesn't happen. And the people that are awarded those are those that are brave, and they're strong, and they're courageous, and they are going in to help one another, right? They're in this war with you. They're the kind of people that you want by your side in a war. And it's the same with us in the Christian walk. You want people by your side that are going to be in it with you, that are in the fight, that are in the battle, that are praying for your children, that are... Called to a higher place and a walk of obedience. It's one of the reasons why the, the Lord told several of us here to start that prayer team, because we've got to foster a community of bonding through prayer. You know, if you can't take time to pray for one another and pray for this church, uh, there are, there may be some issues there. We need some strength in this church. We need this church needs prayer. Randy and I need prayer. Uh, the worship team needs prayer. People that serve in the kids' space need prayer. So don't take that lightly. I, I really hope all of you will bond with us in that. But first Peter three twelve, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. So when you hear and receive on good soil, God's ears are open unto your prayers. And that's that's one of the things I love about this, how it all ties together. When you're open to hearing God's word, you're in the meat of the word. He's open to hearing your prayers, and it's just this beautiful cycle. And thus, prayers are starting to be answered. Healings happen. People are saved. Deliverance occurs. You get that break you needed for whatever reason in a job or anything going on in your life. Now, Satan does not want you to hear anything. And why? Hosea four six? my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Destroyed. That's a, that's a heavy term, too, from the Lord. If you're not hearing from the, the Lord, if you're not studying his word, you will be destroyed for a lack of that knowledge. And that's why so many Christians go along foot... <laughs> line and sinker into whatever the world tells them to do, and they don't push back at all. I mean, praise God for the pastors that stood up two years ago and said, no, we're not shutting down our churches. We are opening the door. Hebrews 10.25 says, forsake not the gathering of yourselves together. And so they stood on God's word because they knew it. So here at New City, remember about being skillful in the word. This is a, this is a cool analogy the Lord showed us a while back. The Lord really wants to unite us as families. And he's, he's raising a remnant in these last of last days to bond people together to do this war and go through this war victoriously with one another. And warriors together to take the fight to the enemy. And so I'm asking all of you, don't take that for granted. There's, there's great strength here in that. And in Judges 7... Oh, there we go. Judges 7, remembering the story of Gideon. The Lord separated from Gideon's army those that would bow the knee to take water and those that took it by their hand and just lapped it up and brought the water to their mouth. Now, why did he do that? Well, he did that because the ones that bowed the knee were not fit for war. They were the ones that would be weak. They would kneel easily. They would take the water you know, from the ground think of the water as the word of God, the Holy Spirit, the word, Jesus himself, the water that rushed from the rock in the wilderness. Those that would take the water by their hand, they were skillful and they were fit for battle. And so that's why God separated those two. So that's what God's telling all of us here to do. Don't, don't kneel before the world. Stand strong, grab a hold of the, the word of God, and let's take this fight back to them. So get in the word and, and the trendy of faith. What is it? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Why is it important? It's impossible to please God without it. Hebrews eleven six. 6. And so how do you get it? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And you've got to do it daily from Acts 17, 11. So do not be negligent. That's the, that's the call that God has on you. Don't be negligent. Run that you can obtain, 1 Corinthians 9.24. And remember the strongholds when Joshua and Caleb led the the children of Israel through the Jordan to the promised land, every one of those cities that they didn't tear down completely as God commanded them to do, it's a thorn in the side of Israel today, still. The Gaza Strip, the West Bank, and the Golan Heights, those three areas are the areas that Joshua didn't destroy completely. And so don't be fooled by the enemy that you can live with whatever you're harboring in your life. You've got to tear it down. You have to tear it down and let the word of God tear down those strongholds from Numbers 33. So you can't stand against the enemy then. And why do you do that? Because you can't stand if you've got something accursed in your life from Joshua 7. Remember, they were... They were destroyed in a battle because they had something accursed still in their lives. And God was not with them in that. And so you can't go running out to face the enemy if, you've, if you're holding on to something. You've got to get it out of your life. And so you can press on to your inheritance, which is west of the Jordan. Okay, I hope all of you will take that serious. And if you're not on a, on a Bible reading plan there's a great app I love called the it's just called The Reading Plan actually. <laughs> but you can set it to read I like to go through the Bible and read it in chronological order myself. Just because when you get to 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles and the Prophets, that's organized so that you read what prophet was saying to what king in that order in that time and so you get a better picture. For me it helped me put it all together. You could just read it through cover to cover, how it's organized, that's fine too. Just read it, it doesn't really matter. Just read it. But if, you get, if you'll download that app, you can get on a plan to go through the Bible in one calendar year, cover to cover. And if you've never done that before, it is the greatest journey you will ever go on in your life. It takes care of everything. And what, what I did, the first time I did it, I, I did First John two twenty seven as my guiding verse. And I wrote down every single question I had. I wrote down because he promised to teach me everything. And I had, a, I had, there's still the notes in my phone, actually. I just wrote down every question, and I had a lot of questions. It took me 18 months, and I got through it the first time. But he answered, he was so faithful. He answered every single question after about three to four days. And he'll do the same for you, I promise you, if you just give him space and time to do it. And it will change your life. And then you go over and you start again. And your questions will change, but start over. And you're going to get new insights because the Word of God is inexhaustible. And you can't read it and have understanding from the Holy Spirit, though, unless you're born again. And so if you're watching this online, if you're here, if you need to be born again, if you need to be saved, it's very simple. It's Romans 10.9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It is that simple. And Then you are endowed with the Holy Spirit from Ephesians as an earnest deposit. Just like when you buy a house, you put down an earnest deposit. The Lord puts an earnest deposit in you. It's the Holy Spirit. And it's a promise that he will redeem you to himself at the rapture. That's what that deposit's for, because he's going to take you home and once you're born again then you go on the greatest journey of your life of studying his word and understanding what he has for you for the call in your life so with that i'll close us in prayer lord i thank you so much for this morning god thank you for everybody here lord we pray over those that couldn't be here this morning that you'd be with their families that you bless them and their time together god i pray that your word would resonate in our hearts and our minds as we leave this place, let it not be something that we just did on Sunday. Let it be something that we carry with us from Monday to Saturday. And that, Lord, it's a lifestyle. It's a life of living for you. God, I thank you so much for everything you are pouring out onto New City, Lord. This is your church and your people, and we love you so much. Thank you for this time together this morning, God. Be with us. And give us discernment to be of full age, to know both good and evil in the world in which we live. In Jesus' name, we pray all of these things, God. Amen.